And so, anyhow, I'm standing outside greeting people as they were leaving church, and uh, this young family came out the door, and their son came darting down the stairs to hand me this envelope that he had dutifully colored with his Crayola crayon. And it just says, hi, my name is Andrew, and I'm four years old, and I had a bake sale to make money for poor people. So please make sure they get this. Thank you. And I ripped open the envelope, and there was, you know, about $25 in this envelope. I stood there in amazement. I thought, wow, from a four-year-old. And on one hand, we could just leave it at that. But I think what's even more profound about this is that this kid was aware. This kid was listening. Andrew wanted to imitate something. From Chicago, it's the Old St. Pat's Podcast, a show that highlights weekly reflections from Old St. Patrick's Church. If someone were to imitate you, what would they learn? What are you teaching others through your actions? Who are the people you try to emulate? We learn from each other. So in our first week of Advent, is there anything you can do a little differently to be more aware of what you say, do, see, hear, and maybe even what you want to imitate? Amongst the hustle and bustle of the season, Father Hurley encourages you to be mindful and aware of the special moments where someone is an example of peace, joy, and hope for you, and where you can be the same for someone else. Chances are that if I baptized one of your babies, um, you might have heard this. Or chances are if you're Megan Buckley and you sing at baptisms quite often, then you might have heard this. Um, But that's okay. I look at it this way. I'm going to tell a story. I've told it before. It's Thanksgiving weekend. And I don't know about you, but I've been eating a lot of leftovers, and sometimes they're better the second time around than the first time around. So go with it, all right? Uh, Pretend you're eating the leftovers. But anyhow, several years ago, uh, I was uh, here. I was standing outside on the the sidewalk after 9.30 Mass. And 9.30... Customarily gets a lot of uh, younger families uh, that attend in the morning because the kids are up early. And so, anyhow, I'm standing outside greeting people as they were leaving church, and uh, this young family came out the door, and their son came darting down the stairs uh, to hand me this uh, envelope that he had dutifully colored with his Crayola crayon. And uh, he came up and he just handed it to me, he didn't say anything, he said, Here. And I said, Oh, thank you. And um, mom and dad came down the stairs with their latest version in the, uh, in the car seat. And uh, they came up to me and they said, did he give you the envelope? And I said, yeah. I said, what is it? And she said, well, turn it over. So I turned it over and there was a note written on the back that Junior, from Junior, but mom had written it uh, on his behalf. And it just says, hi, my name is Andrew. And I'm four years old and I had a bake sale to make money for poor people. So please make sure they get this. Thank you. And I ripped open the envelope, and there was, you know, about $25 in this envelope. And um, I stood there in amazement. I thought, wow, from a four-year-old. And uh, I looked at mom. I said, what's the deal? And she said, well, it is what it is. He wanted to have a bake sale, make some money, give it to you. You give it to the poor. I said, wow. And I was kind of speechless. And to break the awkwardness of my speechlessness, the mother said to Andrew, Andrew, tell father what your motto was, because... Every four-year-old has a motto for their bake sale. And um, so this four-year-old looks at me and says, well, my motto is, or was, uh, I bake it and you take it, you know? (laughs) I bake it and you take it, not bad for a four-year-old. He's going to be great in advertising someday. But, uh, and then, oh, tell father what you sold. And he was very proud. He said, well, 
I sold some chocolate chip cookies for $2 a piece. I thought, kid, I thought Corner Bakery was expensive. You really are more expensive than they are. And they walked away. And I stood there and uh, I thought, wow, this is cool. And on one hand, we could just leave it at that. And you could go, aw, aw, shucks, and isn't that cute? And we could just end it there. But I don't think that's where it needs to end. Because I, as I've said at baptisms often, this is very profound. And why I find this to be profound is because this kid is four years old. And I don't know about you, but I don't think four-year-olds are just automatically wired to go to Ma and Pa and say, light up the oven, we got some baking to do. But rather, I think there's something intriguing about this because a four-year-old picked up on something. And a four-year-old learned something about charity, learned something about how we care for one another, learned something about generosity, learned something about work, and how we do things for other people. And as I always say at the baptisms, I would bet the 25 bucks that used to be in here that the kid probably learned it from people we call moms and dads and godparents and grandparents and so on and so forth. But I think what's even more profound about this, and the reason I guess I, I, uh, I reheat the leftover story, is that this kid was aware. This kid was attentive. This kid was listening. Andrew was watching something. Andrew saw something. Andrew wanted to imitate something. And of course, we know that something was how we live for others. If a four-year-old can pick this up, imagine what we can do. You see, I think a word that you're going to hear a lot, or that we have heard already, in the scriptures of Advent is stay awake, be attentive, be mindful, listen. The Son of Man might come when you, you don't even expect it, when you, when you can't even plan it. I never expected this from a four-year-old. I remember when I was a kid growing up, and I've shared this many times before, uh, that my father, you know, was a family doctor, you know, that worked on the south side of Chicago in Little Company Mary Hospital for many, many years. He was, uh, he was a family doctor, and for those who are not familiar, I mean, that's, he was the primary care, if you will. He was, he was Marcus Welby. Some of you don't even know what that means when I say that, but others do. And it was a TV show where he was the doctor of the neighborhood. Anyhow, back in those days, there was no cell phones, um, and you didn't have to call an office. You just called the doctor's house. Our home had two phone lines, my dad's line and the kid's line. And God forbid if the kids were ever on his line and he caught you, you'd be in trouble. But um, so we had patients that called all of the time. I'm seriously, morning, noon, and night, they would call. And they'd call with their ailments and they'd call, you know, with their problems. And, and you know, this was in the days before HIPAA. I heard everything. I knew everybody's ailments and their sores. I knew, I knew their medications, for God's sake, you know? Because we just heard it all because he would talk on the phone. But the understanding was, keep your mouth shut. But I tell you, uh, there was one call in particular uh, that was one that was, in many ways, instrumental and life-changing for me. And it wasn't when I was a kid, but I was an adult, and it was a couple years maybe before I was ordained, and I was at home, and I was in the kitchen, and the phone rang, and it was a patient, and my father answered the phone and was talking to this patient. 
This patient, who I knew, was the very first person that my father ever had to diagnose with AIDS. And this young man was the son of my godmother. And so this wasn't just some unknown patient. This patient was known to all of us. He was our friend. And I remember my father listening to him, overhearing him on the phone. What I heard was mercy. What I heard as a young man from my father was the words of compassion. What I heard on that night was my father being more than a doctor, he was ministering to this person. And I remember him saying, yes, okay, mm-hmm. And then I remember words that I'll never, ever forget. And he said these words to his patient. He said, together we will do what we have to do. Together we will do what we have to do. My father was devastated by that diagnosis. It was like diagnosing one of his sons. But I tell you, in that conversation that I overheard that night in our kitchen was probably more instrumental and was more inspirational than anything I probably learned at the seminary. Because I saw my dad being ministered. And those wonderful words, not you're on your own, we will do what we have to do. You see, there are moments that you can't plan. I never could have scheduled that or expected that. I just happened to be there. And I heard profound words of mercy and compassion. You see, this is Advent. And Advent, we're going to hear, and we have heard from these texts today, these readings about awareness and being awake. And Jesus talking about, you know, it's going to be like in the days of Noah when people were doing what people do and what we do. They were eating and they were drinking and marrying and giving themselves in marriage. People out in the field, people grinding at the mill, people in the office, people uh, being busy, people uh, running around and doing their thing and keeping their schedules and doing all the stuff that we do. But are we ever mindful and aware of these holy messengers and these holy moments where God is speaking to us. This is Advent. Advent says, let it be a little bit different. Advent, according to uh, Catherine Doherty, and probably some of you read her, her, uh, her insights, uh, said that Advent is like being on pilgrimage. And it's a pilgrimage in which you're not going to take one step, and yet you're going to go a thousand miles, and a thousand miles into spirit. You're going to stay at home on your pilgrimage. Because Advent is one that invites us into ourselves, into our spirit, being mindful and aware of what people say, what we hear, what we see, what we encounter, what perhaps we might even want to imitate. When you hear, again, in in this first uh, reading uh, from Isaiah, and we'll hear a lot from Isaiah, Isaiah is kind of the Advent one of the Advent characters, and Isaiah talks about this mountain. Isaiah is kind of like, use your imagination. It's like, go into this mountain, and, and when we get to this mountain, all the nations will gather, and nobody's fighting with each other. That's why you heard in the, in the first, in the opening prayer about, you know, no more wars and, and no more uh, hatred. 
Because Isaiah gives us this imagery that it's, it's about this world or this mountain, this place that we can create, if you will, what Neri's saying, a beautiful city, a beautiful mountain, and a place where, using the agricultural images, you know, we'll take swords and we'll turn them into plowshares. Or we'll take, uh, we'll take spears and we'll turn them into pruning hooks. Now, I don't know anything about plowshares <laughs> or pruning hooks, but my understanding, or at least my guess, is that they're agricultural images that say we can cultivate something new. That's what you do with the earth. When you plow the earth and when you use those instruments that are not about destruction and war and harming somebody else, but you turn them into instruments of cultivation. Cultivate life. It seems to me that Advent is about our time of cultivation. Allowing God to, to work in us. To work in us and to change us and to make us more aware and mindful and attentive. Listening to those who are the voices of compassion. So that maybe, just maybe, we will give birth to the Christ of compassion in us. That maybe at Christmas we will give birth to the voice of Christ who is hope, who is love for somebody else. And so we open ourselves this Advent as we begin our pilgrimage and may God's Spirit awaken us, awaken something in us, make us more attentive, help us to listen and to hear. It seems to me, if a four-year-old could figure it out, so can we. Time now for announcements and events. The Deck the Hall concert series is almost here, and we still need volunteers. Get in the holiday spirit by helping out on either December 5th, 6th, or 7th. For all the details and to sign up, visit oldstpats.org. OSP Next, the young adult group at Old St. Pat's, has a lot of fun and festive events before Christmas. We're still holding Bible study every Sunday until December 22nd, right before Mass at 3.45 p.m. This coming Sunday, December 8th, is our Christmas movie night in Hughes Hall after the 5 p.m. Mass. And enjoy Zoo Lights with us on December 13th from 6 to 9 p.m. I hope you've had a chance to listen to the first of our four-part series called Advent 180. Every Monday in Advent, we'll be posting a recording by different Old St. Pat's members talking about their thoughts on the previous Sunday's Gospel message. This past Monday, we featured a wonderful reflection by Jack Shea. Tune in next Monday for our second reflection to help you enjoy this season on a deeper level. Thank you for listening to the show this week. The homily was originally given at the 5 p.m. Mass on Sunday, December 1st, 2019 by Father Tom Hurley. For all the info about the organizations mentioned in today's episode, a full list of our live events, and free parking information, visit our website at oldstpats.org. To stay up to date with new episodes, please follow us on Spotify. Find us on Twitter at Old St. Pat's Chicago and on Instagram at Old St. Pat's. I'm Kate Anderson. You've been listening to the Old St. Pat's Podcast. <laughs>